wounded man is hard to find. Wise blood, mystery and manners. Everything that rises must convert you. She's one of the best writers of the 20th century. I've read everything that she's written. Flannery O'Connor is one of the writers least afraid to look at the darkness. Hello, everybody, and welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Today, I have writer, director, producer, Elizabeth Kaufman, and writer, director, producer, Mark, is it Bosco or Bosco? <laughs> you got it right. All right, good. I always get a little nervous when I say last names, you know? <laughs> um, I still have a friend whose name I cannot pronounce for the life of me, and like he messages me every day it's terrible uh, <laughs> all right but no today we are talking about their documentary about the uh famous author flannery o'connor uh with the documentary with uh the name of her last name actually flannery and um i mean uh i would be foolish to act like i knew um who this person was but in discovering who she was i'm quite fascinated by her works i was actually uh, Googling some of her stuff last night uh, on top of the research I already had. I was starting to read a little bit of good country people. And yeah, she mm. certainly has, as I saw in this documentary, sort of a gothic style of writing, uh, sort of a cynical outlook of things. But in, on the other hand, it was sort of fascinating how she struggled with religion and struggled with a lot of things that were sort of like taboo in her time. So um, I guess to start it off, I'll ask the stereotypical question, although I read a little bit of it in the bio, but whatever. Uh, what compelled you guys to make a uh, movie about uh, Flannery O'Connor? I'll go ahead and start. Um, yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, I was working on Flannery O'Connor as a, as a kind of a, a scholar. I teach English literature. Uh, and I was looking at Catholic writers, actually. And um, of course, here's this uh, a Catholic woman from the 50s and 60s. She's got all this violence uh, in, in, her, in her stories. Uh, but she claimed that in many ways, what compelled her vision was her Catholic faith. And so I was really intrigued with how do you put together this woman uh, who's a, a, a modernist, really kind of taught and, and, and tutored in how you do a modernist short story. And yet she, she really says that Catholicism is, is part of it. So having um, started with that work, uh, a friend of mine actually, when I was um, uh, in the late 2000s, um, said to me, listen, in the 1990s, I wrote, uh, I, excuse me, I uh, interviewed some folks that were close to Flannery O'Connor, Christopher O'Hare's his name. And Chris actually had known Sally Fitzgerald. Sally Fitzgerald's a big name in Flannery O'Connor studies. She's the, the best friend of Flannery, and she's the one who collects all those letters for the habit of being. Um, Flannery O'Connor is the, 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 the godmother of two of Sally Fitzgerald's uh, children, um, Michael and Benedict. Uh, Fitzgerald. Um, so anyway, uh, he's got this major piece with her and he did this all in the 1998-99 and he sat on it for, for a decade and he says, I'm not going to do anything with it. I think this is the backbone of something if you, if you want to do it. So I looked at it and I was amazed and um, I thought, oh my gosh, we have a lot here. So I immediately contacted Elizabeth, who is this great documentarian in Chicago. She teaches alongside me uh, at Loyola Chicago back then. And um, I said, listen, I think we've got something here, but you're the person who, who needs to kind of uh, weigh in here. And my gosh, uh, we, we saw the story through the interviews. We saw a biography. We saw how we could kind of talk about her unique place. And Elizabeth, I guess you could take it from here if, if you don't mind, because uh, really in many ways, uh, she saw the potential as a documentarian. Mm. 
Yes, thanks. Thanks, Mark. And thanks, Mike, for having us on the show. Uh, I really came in, I'm a, I started as a film scholar and writing about film, and then I started making documentaries uh, when, I, when Mark and I started working together at Loyola. So one of the original interviews that Chris O'Hare, who's an executive producer of Flannery, when I looked at the interviews, I thought, this is an NEH project, and the interviews were so good. So, in fact, we did wind up getting an NEH project, and, and Mark, who'd never made a film before, is a natural <laughs> film producer and uh, knew the subject of Flannery intimately. I was an English major from the South, not Catholic, uh, Protestant or secular, and wanted to, knew we had the potential to make a story for a great national audience about about her life and her work. Yeah, and a very, yeah, it's really interesting, her stuff. It, it's funny, because, like, a lot of her uh, writing was really taboo in her time, and she kind of, like, mixed that with her, like, religious beliefs. Like, she kind of struggled with both of it. What do you think that was like for her, like, when she had to, like, kind of struggle between the two, you know, kind of examining what people deemed as freaks at the time, you know, uh, compared to sort of like her deep ties to Catholicism? You know, I think in many ways, um, she was, uh, she was living and breathing in the, the, the culture of her time in the 1940s and 50s, post-World War II. So she kind of has this wonderful documentarian eye about reality, and she's watching things and sifting through and listening things. And so her stories are basically about the struggle to be authentic, I think, in the United States, given the trauma of World War II, given the, the, the Jim Crow laws and the racism and the, the rise of civil rights, given the fact that she's a woman uh, who, uh, in the South, who is supposed to only be like one kind of person, right? Stereotyped as the Southern Belle. She, she rebels against that tremendously. Um, and then her own disability, lupus. How, how do we talk about it? And so if you think about her life and why, uh, why she has all these tensions that you mentioned, I think she's, she's in the midst of, an, of the American moment, really. And it's her deep Catholic faith that I think is where she positions herself to, to comment, to, to create art imaginatively. She's an American woman trying to figure out how her Catholic faith can help her express what it means to be an American at this moment, especially with those kinds of, of um, uh, things hanging over us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, uh, did, did you want to add anything? <laughs> well, I was just going to add, you know, in the film, and Mark really introduced me to the story of O'Connor, Temple of the mm. Holy Ghost, uh, which we start out early in the film and has an, an intersex character, a so-called freak that, you know, O'Connor yeah. was not, you know, was not young or naive. I mean, she was writing, uh, we've just finally seen a movement um, for trans identity. And she really was, she, she understood that in the 1950s and, and was writing characters who, um, who expressed the, the tensions as well as the uh, humanity yeah. of what it was like to be different, right? To, to be different in terms of being disabled to be mm -hmm. being so-called different in terms of gender identity or conformity issues. So that's, that's where I never get tired of reading her is that she is completely, and I think with everything happening with race today too, 
uh, it's completely appropriate to read her and investigate her uh, in terms of her own personal letters and everything else. Yeah, it's it's fascinating how she sort of struggled with them. Um with her own sort of, uh, I don't know if she was racist or not. It was sort of like something where she, from what I understood in the doc, she sort of struggled with it herself. Um, and if I, if I recall correctly, didn't they like not allow some of her works to be published today be, or because of some of the connotations in it? In a, because some of her short stories, because of the use of, you know, transgressive language, particularly the N word, yeah. um, She's using that, of course, in the same way that other writers would use it to kind of as a kind of an indictment, really, of that of that sound and of that of those manners. Um, but, uh, you know, on a superficial level, and it has to be superficial, you can say, well, we just don't want to even deal with that. So we're not going to read it. So there are some high schools, some high schools. Mm -hmm. I've never seen it uh, in any of my my studies that a college would would say anything about it. But there are some high schools who say that 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 has kept her some of her stories, not all of them, but, but kept some of her stories from being um, uh, talked about, discussed, because she really wanted to kind of put things out there and say, let's interrogate the world. Let's interrogate my world of 1957, 1964. Let's interrogate your world <laughs> as you mm -hmm. read it, as you're on the journey reading the story as well. I was just going to add, I think in our film, and you can see how with these questions about about uh, race, class, gender, all the different issues that that come through in her fiction. Uh, our great animators, we had three wonderful female animators, uh, Kathleen Judge uh, included a Flannery avatar in the stories being retold. Uh, and that's how uh, Mark and I both see this question of her interrogating her own white privilege and her own sense of racism. Problematic uh, uses of language in her letters. I mean, trust me, we went over them uh, in detail. Uh, but it, it's in her fiction that you really see that she had a self-awareness of that, of the problem and uh, of the terror of racism, as well as of uh, the, the white privilege that would just throw, you know, racist perspectives around. She interrogated herself in her fiction with that. Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, my, oh yeah, go sorry, ahead. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to kind of piggyback a little bit on the fact that not only in race, but I mean, Fanny O'Connor's two of her, two of her best uh, friends, confidants, uh, in the 1950s and 60s are, are, are lesbian women. Um, and you and everyone kind of wants to pigeonhole Flannery O'Connor as well, she's the Catholic writer and therefore this is what Catholic must mean, or she's the, the Southern writer, this is what Southern means, or this is the racist and this is what racism means. Flannery O'Connor, she, she contradicts any kind of, 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 of kind of like trying to pigeonhole her. She was ahead of her time because she, I think she really appreciated uh, human beings, the humanity of our of our life, and and the differences as unique kind of parts of 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 life and of storytelling. So anyway, I wanted to add that she's she's just she's so hard to pigeonhole. No, no, I'm glad you added that because yeah, she wasn't sort of like oh, this is her style. This is the kind of story that she's writing. There was always just something vastly different, something you didn't think about. In one of her stories, I think it was sort of like maybe her own struggle or uh, sort of contempt with her own um, fate, uh, having lupus. She, she meets someone out in the middle of the woods 
and he kills her. And instead of this being this horrible, grisly act of killing her character, it's sort of this release, this freedom. And maybe it's her accepting death, you know, with the way she talks about racism. You can't tell if the characters are racist or if they're not. It's never sort of like one way or the other. It's, it's sort of like the shades of gray, uh, you know, within her writing that, that you can't just, just grab, which is what I found so fascinating. It's not just a clear, this is my point of view and that's it. It's more, well, I don't know what to think about this. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. people are complicated and, yeah. and understanding uh, so-called racism uh, from all of its complications and, and white privilege, I think helps give, uh, get a better understanding of, well, everyone has, who's white may have this sense of white privilege and some racist perspective. Uh, it's, it's about understanding the, the responses to that and the action. And uh, with O'Connor, you know, it's in her fiction. I think the, the critique and the take, the takedown and the, her salvation. Yeah. yeah. Mike, if I can, I just want to say one more thing too, because I think you're right. There's a sense that um, there, so many different critics have come to her and say, well, let's, let's just look at how, how she observes racism and she, she, perf she has her characters perform it. But that interior, that narrative voice is very careful to disassociate from it. She also then has these incredible stories of violence. And she's always very careful not to kind of um, make the, the aesthetics of violence for its own sake. It's always kind of pushing the reader to think deeply, to think in the complications. Um, so what, no matter what it is, it seems to me that O'Connor is, um, she, what, what everyone loves about her is that she's this great writer. It's the writing, right? It's the writing. And she puts her whole soul in her, and her soul's a complicated soul into her writing. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny how, like, wh where people try to um, uh, get rid of some of, like, some of these high schools are banning some of her writing. It, it, it just reminds me of, you know, what Disney's doing with, like, I don't know if you've heard, like, how they removed Song of the South from their, uh, their library on Disney Plus, and, like, even, even the, uh, they have the, whatever that log ride, ride is, they got rid of that, or they changed the name of that, and then HBO got rid of, uh, Gone with the Wind in their HBO Max library, and, you know, the, the way they're handling that, they should do it more like Warner Brothers did, where, with their cartoons, they have some old racist cartoons and they have like a disclaimer saying, hey, we know this is a certain point of view that we no longer share, but this is a piece of history and we don't want to erase that. And with O'Connery's work, it's not just blatantly racist like Song of the South was or something like that. And it's just funny how history back then and history today continues to repeat itself. Like still- well, we do. Yeah, go ahead. We do have a disclaimer. We have a disclaimer in front of the film for the virtual- screening uh, about the use of the ethnic slur because um, she used it a lot and it's it does have an impact. Elizabeth, so you can't, you're not coming people in. People choose not to. Uh, here. Uh, hey, Elizabeth, can you say that? Can am I coming in now? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't hear what you said. It just glitched a little bit. Uh, yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah, I just was saying that we have a disclaimer at the beginning of the film. Uh, that mentions that we include an ethnic slur uh, more than once. And uh, even if it's told within this critical context, it's up to the viewer to decide if they're, you know, if they want to put themselves through listening or, or hearing it. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it, it's it's always important to remember that, you know, this is the way history was and this is the way it was written. And to censor history, I think, is just kind of a foolish thing to do. So I'm glad that you actually included the language that was in there, you know. like I mean, now everybody, when they talk about Huckleberry Finn, all they mention is how they say, like, the N-word 50 times, you know. And there, I think there was, like, a stand-up comedian who was talking about that. But the thing is, like, it, it doesn't mean you stop reading the book. You just, you just see what's in there. I don't know if you've seen Steve James' America to Me. Have you watched that series? Because Uh, (laughs) it's about the Oak Park River Forest High School Mm. and racial issues in the classroom. And and this is talked about the, you know, the black students are are tired of reading things that have the N-word, you know, twice a page. And and they're entitled. They're entitled to that. And you see the white and black teachers trying to have a conversation about it. So it's about the conversation, right? It's about... And just like with Gone with the Wind, Flannery O'Connor incidentally hated Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yeah, I did wrote, see that, yeah. <laughs> and when she was 14, She wrote a I think, great yeah. story. Yeah. yeah, she wrote a great story uh, about it, about, uh, about the premiere and how ridiculous the premiere was, where Hattie McDaniel was not allowed to go to Atlanta and be in the premiere, you know, or attend the premiere ceremonies in Atlanta wow. in 39. So <laughs> there's a that's great her routine. perspective on Gone. There's a great routine from Bill Burr regarding the uh, ending of Gone with the Wind. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I have a stand-up comedy background as well. So it's like I realized some of those crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that must be awkward for a teacher like who's got to read something like Huckleberry Finn, you know, like a white teacher to, to a classroom. Like, so what is that? Oh, <laughs> uh, how do I say this part? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think actually, Mike, it's really important to when we when I teach Flynn O'Connor in the classroom, um, I have I have a discussion right away on, our, on the first hour, really. How do we how do we want to deal with it as a class? How do we want to say the N word? Do we want to yeah. do we want to say it differently? Do we want to just pause and have silence? Because my class will be will be very diverse with people. So um, and I kind of let them come to the conclu- their own conclusions. Usually we, we read the, the stories out loud because they're very funny and they're very, they're very dramatic out loud. Um, and the students will come up with, with, with a way that they want to deal with that, with especially the N-word. Yeah, I, one thing I really liked is uh, how you brought sort of the animation to life uh, within the picture. Um, because... Um, yeah, um, you, you didn't you didn't try to make it too flashy or anything like that because I see some documentaries that try to recreate uh, sort of memories, you know, where there's no official documentation, and uh, you know, the, the, like the, the like a lot of the a lot of the animation is just kind of like it's trying to look up, it's trying to show off, like, look what I can do. And I kind of like how it sort of came off like a, like you were looking at a picture within a novel. And I was uh, wondering what the process to that was like to, uh, to sort of like uh, uh, bring O'Connor's words to life. Uh, thanks. Thanks for saying that it, uh, it took years. <laughs> <laughs> and we, um, we have three great female animators who, uh, who really took the the story and the challenge to heart. I mean, Heidi Kumau uh, got herself a fellowship to Georgia, went down to Andalusia, was researching the flora and fauna. Um, Kathleen Judge also reread everything and were in, they were involved in the, 
in the scripting, but, um, and Natalie Barahona, th these animators, they needed very little from us. I mean, we excerpted moments in the story that we thought were crucial to, to illustrate and to script to, and, and, and then they took it from there. So we really um, gave them a story allowed some flexibility, like Kathleen Judge created an avatar of Flannery, which appeared appears in all of her work, and and that to me is uh, you know just evidence of how talented she is. And you know, Mike, I think it works in the film because Flannery herself was a cartoonist, right? And so we had we had we felt like we had carte blanche to say, here's a way of trying to to enter into Flannery's world, who was already uh, loved, you know. Uh, cartooning herself, loved drawing herself. Um, so it kind of became a natural kind of way to tell her life, tell the, some of the stories uh, as well um, through these great images. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing I, I, I wanted to point out is I really do love how there's three female animators. We have a female director and a male uh, co-director as well. Uh, <laughs> um, do, do you think that we, we still recognize enough female writers or enough female artists today? We have a female composer too. Yes, yes. <laughs> and publicist. And, and, Speaking and of community. how we don't recognize and look what I just did. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think I think that um, I think one of the reasons that I, that so many people love Flannery O'Connor is, and I think a lot of women writers who have spoken to me or have written to us or are in our film, um, here's Flannery O'Connor um, making it work in a man's world in the 1950s, right? As a serious, she's not writing, you know, those those beach romances. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she's writing serious fiction. Um, and so absolutely, I think in some ways, uh, people see her as a kind of a, a first sign that, oh yeah, you know, th th we, have to, we, have to, we have to move beyond this kind of ma male gaze of what it means to be an artist or a writer. Um, she, she starts it all in some ways uh, for so many artists today. Can we have more? Of course we can have more. And there are so many artists who, uh, writers, who see themselves kind of um, learning from Flannery. And I say that because it's, I, I don't think it's actually in our film, but Tobias Wolf, who runs the MFA program, or used to run the MFA program at Stanford, he used to say, he'd always tell his students who were wanting to be writers, women, men, that you have to kind of go through Flannery O'Connor and get to the other side because you're going to learn so much by really reading and analyzing. You learn about the craft of being a good writer. You know, when when I interviewed Alice Walker, Alice Walker really helped bring Zora Neale Hurston's fiction back to uh, the national stage. And, and too often, uh, women, uh, black writers have been just ignored or not taken as seriously. And it, and it does demand sort of, you know, a refinding or bringing to the public eye. So you know, this is the National Endowment for the Humanities and PBS are all great supporters of, of doing that. One of our executive producers, Bob Hercules, did a doc on Maya Angelou, and that's been very popular. So, you know, we're, we're sort of committed to trying to tell, to, to, to bring uh, not just writers, but artists of different kind who haven't been on the tip of everyone's tongue uh, back into the national discussion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so on that note, uh, I, I did like to say, I loved how in the beginning with, uh, where, where 
uh, Flannery was in the uh, was was in a classroom. It was a male dominated classroom, and they all were sort of jealous that this woman was getting the attention over them. <laughs> Not much has changed. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, but the. There are some women in the classroom now. Yeah, now it's changed. Excellent. Yeah. Yes, yes. So yes, we have had uh, some progress. Yes. Uh, um, on that note, was there anything you guys wanted to add? Because I could go on for hours, but you know, we're a little limited on time. Yeah. I would just say that um, uh, really thank you for your time, and um, we just really hope that our film will bring people to her works uh, that in many ways you get to know Flannery O'Connor's life. You get some, you get some samplings, a little bit of a, of a dive into some of her works. And I think you'll be moved. And so many people are, they talk about Flannery O'Connor in a way that's like, oh my gosh, you know, like I, this, this inspired me, it opened me up. It, uh, it made me think differently. Uh, she has that kind of ability as, a, as an artist. And so we're just hoping, I'm just hoping that the film uh, allows that for others now. Yes, and please check into our premiere July 17th and with uh, Chicago dates we're working on, I believe Lisa, and um, we hope that the film will uh, bring and buy her books. <laughs> yes, could you just repeat a little bit of the last part? It just, uh, there was a little yeah, bit Yeah, you were you, you frozen again. Say the whole thing again. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, we we are confirmed for Chicago. We're confirmed at the American Writers Museum. So. Okay, great. So I'll I'll say that. So we we hope that with our virtual premiere on July seventeenth, that's going to benefit local organizations like the American Writers Museum here in Chicago and places all around the country. Please look at FlannerySelm.com uh, for the calendar of screenings and locations across the country where you can uh, buy a virtual ticket. And we hope that the film gets you to buy your fiction. Mm, excellent. And if you guys want to see any of the details of that, it will be in the description of this podcast or YouTube video with the podcast audio below. All right. Uh, okay, guys. Thank you so much for coming on and taking your time to talk about your movie. Uh, Guys, this movie's coming out virtually on July 17th and hope, uh, and probably farther after that. I have a good feeling it will. Uh, Elizabeth Kaufman, Mark Bosco, thank you for coming on. The movie's called Flannery. If you want to know about Flannery O'Connor's work, there's an incredible device called Google. And uh, Google, and uh, you could type her name in on there. So, uh, yeah, do what I did there. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on. Uh, again, the name of the movie is Flannery. Uh, you could check out, you'll probably agree, at ypareviews.com. All right. Thanks so much. She just saw the mystery of the craziness.